Kutcher like butcher. Kutcher like butcher. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on uh, yeah, today, and uh, really it's it. good being sunny in Florida and not in freezing Denver, Colorado. Um, who I am and my story. Uh, my name is Michael Kutcher. Um, I, you know, my I guess where I kind of come into my story is really about, um, and what my story is really all about is uh, overcoming obstacles. Uh, it's persevering through life. Um, you know. I, I often talk to people um, about knowing their purpose in life. And, and I know that that's kind of a big, big question, right? Of what's your purpose in life? Um, but I've been through certain obstacles and challenges in my life. Um, They've led me to my purpose. And, um, you know, I don't think that a lot of people understand their purpose or at all. Uh, but I've been fortunate enough to to go through challenges and obstacles throughout my life. Um, they have led me to a purpose of really inspiring people and um, kind of having a, a greater appreciation for, for life, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, you know, we all have our stories, right? We all, we all have our obstacles and challenges mm-hmm. to overcome. Um, but uh, I've found a unique way to kind of, turn that into uh an inspirational story for others and hopefully it just inspires people and gives gives people hope um uh it really kind of my story covers uh and we'll get into this but my story covers really kind of two realms families have a lot going on let ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up like delicious lolly focus pops or lolly mellow pops for kids and for parents try three new brainy chews to help you focus chill out or get energized find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com that's o-l-l-y.com these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration this product is not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Overcoming obstacles. Um, one is uh, persevering through disability, um, where, you know, I go back to, to kind of how I'm channeling my, my story to others is the disability community really kind of needs a voice. I feel about overcoming obstacles and challenges and, and I found that I can be that voice or I want to be that voice. Um, the other is, uh, around the, the, just the overall appreciation for life. Um, really more centered around organ donation and how that's affected my life as well. So, so you, you were the benefited from an organ donor when you were very young. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain what led up to that? Like, you were very young, like 13 years old, right? Yep. Yeah. So it, it was, it's really an odd story. Yeah. Um, one that, you know, I, I try to, to put in real terms for, for people and understanding that, mm-hmm. Hey, listen, like this wasn't due to a birth defect. 
This wasn't due to a traumatic issue that I had yeah, well, growing up. Let's start. Let's start from the beginning. Sure. Let's, let's tell it. Let's start from the beginning, leading up to that. So, um, explain to the audience um, the story of you being born. You were you were a twin. So uh, I was born a twin. Um, actually, my my parents didn't even know that they were going to have twins. Until about the whole time, they didn't know until no, no, until about two hours before birth. Wow. Um, so, um, talking about like a surprising moment, unexpected moment for, for my parents. Uh, I mean, you have a child. Yeah, I just had a child. I can't imagine. I mean, could you imagine the doctor walking into the delivery room saying, hey, Danny, guess what? We noticed there's two babies. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine having the one child I have now and multiplying that by two. Yeah, you'd be going nuts, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, and so, so it started out that way, um, to where I was the quote unquote unexpected twin. Okay. Um, and my brother was born, uh, my brother was born very healthy and, um, you know, weighing the average size. I think he weighed like 7.9 pounds, eight pounds, healthy baby boy. Uh, when I was born, I weighed uh, about 4.6 pounds at wow. half size. Um, and I was, you know, almost a preemie really okay. um, not breathing when I was born. Um, and then I, you know, started to lose weight. I had to be rushed to uh, the, the NIC unit, um, read my last rites cause they, they didn't know if I would survive. Um, but you know, I kept fighting and uh, about a month later I, I was able to go home uh, to my family and, so you stayed there for a month when you yep, stayed there in the NIC unit, um, receiving oxygen and just gaining my weight. You know, I would slip to like three pounds and then I think at like five, five and a half pounds, you can officially go home. Um, so I was sent home after a month and, uh, you know, it was this growing up just, you know, I was, my mom was raising three kids at this point, two, uh, two twins and a three year old. Okay. Um, and then, sister, right? yeah, okay. she's three years old. Okay. Uh, she was three years old. <laughs> um, and you know, at about the age of three, my mom just realized that, you know, Michael's not developing the same that, you know, Chris and Tasha are, uh, my brother and sister. And she, she was very in tune with what was, going on with us kids at home. Mm -hmm. um, and she raised some concerns with physicians and area education specialists. Um, come to find out my mom actually diagnosed me with a disability, with cerebral palsy when I was three years old. Your mom did? My mom did, yeah. I, well, I, I credit it to my mom just because she was so in tune with what was going on, right? And every time she would go to the physician, he would say, well, he'll catch up, right? Just, mm -hmm. he'll catch up, he'll catch up. And my mom's a bulldog on some things, <laughs> and she just won't give up. And, and she didn't give up demanding answers. And then as they took a closer look, they, they realized that I had uh, developed um, cerebral palsy. And, and they don't know where I developed it. And, and really, that's a that's kind of a, an issue within that, within cerebral palsy itself is mm -hmm. the understanding of really what causes CP. Mm -hmm. um, it can be a number of reason, things, um, but it's the cerebral palsy is the, the leading motor disability amongst children today. Um, okay, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah, so it's pretty oh. prevalent, and <clears throat> it's kind of this, you know, it's a motor disability, so it comes in all shapes and sizes and forms. Mm -hmm. Uh, severities. Mm -hmm. I have a very mild form right. of cerebral palsy. So, um, you know, I've got the, the eyesight, um, uh, issues. I've got hearing issues. I slur my speech a little bit. Um, my, my right side's a little bit weaker than my left. Um, but if I'm walking down the street or even if someone's listening to this podcast here, they're not going to probably think that I have a, a disability, right? right. Uh, but then you've got other severities where you've, you've got people in, you know, um, in wheelchairs and you've got, um, yeah, it, it's a wide range because it's, it's interesting because when 
a diagnosis, there really is no kind of aha moment of, oh, yes, he, he definitely has cerebral palsy. It's kind of a, they take a bucket, right? Mm -hmm. So like, oh, well, you've got all the classic signs. We're just going to put you in this in this bucket over here where you, know, you could have autism as well mm -hmm. and cerebral palsy. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, long story short, at, at three years old, uh, my mom diagnosed me with having a disability. What age do they typically diagnose cerebral palsy? Uh, well, they're, they're starting to find out that, that and look into ways that they can diagnose it earlier mm. uh, at the infancy stage. Mm. Uh, even in the womb, they're looking at, at ways that they might be able to, to diagnose. Mm -hmm. um, they don't even really know, like I said, what causes it. Um, sometimes when babies extracted at birth, you know, there can be some cerebral damage. Mm. That could cause it. Uh, they believe that I was, uh, due to being born at such a low birth weight, they feel that I was giving given too much oxygen during birth that led to, um, you know, some cerebral um, damage or issues. Okay. Um, but there's really no real, real um, kind of thought around the cause. There's multiple causes, I guess. Uh, to answer your question, typically it's around three years old, okay. two, three years old that the kids are diagnosed when they start seeing obvious signs of this. Mm -hmm. um, but back in 1978, you know, it, it wasn't as widely known. Mm -hmm. um, and physicians, like I said, just kind of passed it off as it was um, something that they the child would, would overcome. Right. Your brother was born twice the weight of you. I mean, obviously they think that that has something to do with um, you know, your development because obviously something happened in the womb. You guys were sharing the same womb. Maybe he got more nutrients than you did or something like that happened. Um, and at three years old, when your mom diagnosed you, what changed when she diagnosed you from leading up to that point? Yeah. You know, I, I often talk that, that and, and say that nothing changed. Um, at least not in my family. Um, you know, we, we, we were middle-class Iowa family, right? Where, you know, at that point my dad was, you know, I think he was working at a packing plant at that point, and, and my mom was um, doing some, some stuff with area education teaching um, and also, you know, raising three kids at home. Um, but what's very awesome and, and unique, well, I wouldn't say unique, what's, What's special about my family is that even though I was born with a disability and diagnosed with that disability at three years old, they didn't treat me any different than they did Tasha and Chris. There was no, uh, it was all about inclusion in my household, um, which is great because it, it made me thrive. It made me, it challenged me to do things. Um, I recall many times doing physical therapy with my siblings, right? There's one, like one of the things with physical therapies, I would have two or three dishes laid out and I would take jelly beans and move them from one dish to, to another, try and like help the dexterity of my fingers. Um, because my, my right side, my right hand has less de dexterity than my left. And Chris was there doing the same thing with me, but he thought that we were just doing a game. He just thought that we were just playing around. Right? But little did he know it was actually my physical therapy that he was joining in on, right? So my mom was- Chris is your brother? Chris is my brother, right. Okay. Right. Um, and so my mom was just very inclusive with the whole family. Mm. And- that said a lot about how, you know, kind of I was treated growing up, um, at least inside the family and with friends and, and peers. Um, and it also kind of gave my siblings the understanding of, you know, working with someone with a disability and how you treat other individuals. Mm. So, yeah, it was... I'm forever grateful for my parents for giving 
giving me that kind of you know, that challenge mm-hmm. throughout my life and not treating me as if I needed special treatment or right. or you know um, they needed to, to cater to me. Um, things were were normal. Mm-hmm. In fact, when when I was going through uh, kindergarten and going in first grade, the elementary school wanted to hold me back, right? Because they're just, uh, you know, kids get held back for a grade, right? And my mom said, absolutely not. She said, Michael will go through the education program with, you know, alongside his brother every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And that, that just challenged me more. And you did? Did you go to school with your brother the whole way? I did. Really? The whole way, yeah. We, um, we were in the same kindergarten class, um, but after that, they start to separate you. Oh really? So yeah, so we were in we were in different classes, you know, growing up all the way through. But yeah, we we graduated high school together. Yeah, I mean we're going through the same same grades. Uh, sometimes, unfortunately, we're in the same clothes. But um, mom wanted to Thanks, be ma- well, yeah, she wanted to be matchy matchy. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it. I don't think that my life would turn out the way it, it has today without my brother mm-hmm. because. I talk about inclusion in the household and how great the household was. But when you step outside the household and outside those family dynamics, society has a whole different view for you, mm-hmm. right? And a, a whole different approach. And I often talk about the playground. And, you know, we've always heard the, the phrase that the playground's the, the cruelest place yeah, for kids. Yeah. yeah, kids can be shitheads. And it is. I mean, it's just, just complete shitheads. It's, you know, I think I've been called every name in the book, every kind of disability name. Yeah. And, and um, it's hurtful, especially at that age when you don't know how to deal with it and you don't know how to internalize it. You don't realize that these kids are just, they don't know any better because they haven't been taught the right things at home, right? Um, but me on the playground was a little bit different because he was there with me, right? And awesome. and I mean, he would he would literally like take fights for me and really? stand up for me. Yeah, I mean he's he's in some respects he's my big brother, yeah. right? And he right. he took on that role for me, um, but he really you know, gave me an insight of how a society really is with people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And and I've got a mild disability, right? Right. right. And, and um, people that were picking on me probably just didn't even know I actually had a, a, a disability, like a named disability. Mm-hmm. They probably just thought that I had thick glasses mm-hmm. or needed hearing aids. Um, and it, it, like I said, just gave me more perception on how life was going to be growing up, um, in a societal way, in a societal view. And as I did grow up, um, I think that that, that really kind of suppressed, uh, my comfort with having a disability. I, I hid my disability for right. years mm-hmm. um, and wasn't... Didn't talk about it. Didn't talk about it, didn't acknowledge it, no one asked. Because um, I, I was really, I internalized it. I was really afraid of, you know, what would my friends think? Uh, what would my employer think when I started working? Would they treat me differently? Um, you know, trying to build a relationship with a woman... How is that going to work? Who's going to accept that? So I really kind of held that in for for a number of years. And you had a heart transplant, right? I did. And how old were you when that happened? And why did they have to do that? Yeah, I was was 13. So uh, once again, going back, this had nothing to do with developing cerebral palsy, nothing to do with being underweight at birth. Um, I'd like to say that, you know, in a joking way, I just got dealt a different set of cards, yeah. you know, than than maybe even you know my twin did, uh, mm-hmm. and that's okay with me. I'm cool with that. Um, I'm glad that happened that way. At, at age 13, um, I just got sick. I mean, I I thought I had the flu. Um, 
it was around Thanksgiving time, so I was off school. Uh, and I was home for about, you know, about a week. Um, and, you know, didn't really go to the doctor because what's the doctor going to tell you? Like, you're viral, you know, it's viral. Mm-hmm. Go home. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. And, mm-hmm. and um, in some respect, I'm glad I didn't go to the doctor so early because they would have kind of passed up the signs that, I thought that actually were critical. And, mm. and, uh, so after a week when, you know, I wasn't getting better, my mom finally took me to, uh, to an area hospital, um, where they, they realized that I was, you know, severely dehydrated. Uh, but also, uh, through an x-ray, they realized that my, my heart was, uh, four times the size of a normal heart. Wow. So, so it was enlarged. Um, and, and they had no idea why, um, I'd later, you know, see a cardiologist and, um, it was then determined that, that I had, um, I had a viral, uh, m- what they call myocarditis, okay. uh, a viral inflammation of the heart. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was that cardiologist recommendation that, that I have a heart transplant. Wow. So. Um, yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty alarming, I guess, yeah. point in my life, uh, scary, uh, but at 13 years old, you, how do you process that when you're a 13 year old? You don't, I mean, you don't, um, or at least I didn't, um, I didn't know what was going on. Um, I just thought that, you know, it would be a quick process and it would be like getting your appendix out. And really, I remember asking the cardiologist how long I'd be out of school. Oh, really? Right, and That's how like much? Biggest yeah, you know how much ice cream do I get? Yeah. Right, like because it just wasn't. Uh, I didn't understand the severity of it, okay. and uh, it didn't take long for me to to quickly understand when uh, someone asked, you know, how much time I would have and. I kind of had to think and process that for a moment and and realize what they're talking about, you know. How long you would have to live? Yeah. And, uh, right, how long would my current heart have Got it. Uh, to survive? And uh, he told me three to four weeks. So, Damn. I mean, here, here I am, three to four weeks to live. 13 years old mm-hmm. um, is a lot that, that goes through your mind. They need to find somebody to donate a heart to you, right? It's not like, okay, sure, we'll schedule you for next week. They have to, I mean, there's obviously like a waiting list to get organ transplants, right? Yeah, there is. And uh, I don't know, it was like back then compared to what it's like now, but. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't as prevalent. I mean, the first heart transplant, I think, was in 1969. I was number 50 at the University of Iowa Hospital, so it's a fairly new procedure. And you're right. I mean, they've got to find, when they look for a, a donor, it's got to be the right match of tissue, size, blood type. So it's got to be an ideal match. Um, and when I was first diagnosed, um, I, I went through several tests and when I went to a larger hospital, they they thought that they could, you know, cure me. And they thought that they could decrease the inflammation of the heart and I wouldn't need a transplant. Okay. So here I am um, with a great medical team at the University of Iowa Hospital and Clinics. And um, they're trying their best to, to, to assist me. Um, but just as the first uh, cardiologist had predicted... About three to four weeks later, I would just slip into cardiac arrest. Um, and at this point, remember that the the hospital doesn't think that I need a heart transplant. Mm-hmm. The um, the the larger medical hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't even put on the list. Yeah. So here I am in cardiac arrest, and I'm not even put on the the transplant list yet. Um, it wasn't until I went into cardiac arrest. Uh, that I was put under the, the transplant list. How long did it take them to find somebody with a heart? Yeah. Um, I don't know what that could have been like. Right. I mean, people wait for years. 
Right. You know, people wait for, for a long time. You had less than three weeks. <laughs> uh, I had less than three weeks, and now I've got less than 48 hours. Once you went into cardiac arrest. Yeah, once I went into cardiac arrest, they determined that, you know, uh, my parents really had two choices. They could either um, put me on a ventricle pump, uh, which would cycle my blood, a kind of artificial heart mm-hmm. for me, um, or they could say their goodbyes at that point because they, they didn't feel, physicians didn't feel that if I went through another um, cardiac arrest that, that I would survive. Okay. Um, and my parents, you know, took the window of the, the ventricle pump, but um, back then the ventricle pump, you could, your heart tissue would start to die um, if it wasn't actually pumping itself Um, because it's a muscle, right? Right. So you're only really the heart tissue dies after about 48 hours. So really I've only got a 40 hour. Yeah. So I've only got like 40 hour window on this ventricle pump. Um, At this point I'm, I'm out of it. Right, I'm so drugged up. Mor- morphine is a great thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a great thing. Um, but yeah, it, it was a very difficult time. I mean, my think about. It, I mean, my my parents are faced with this the same thing they faced 13 years ago. Right, bringing the chaplain in, reading the last rites. I mean, I um, God. yeah. I mean, you, you've got a son now. I mean. Yeah. I've got kids. Um, Could you imagine how much harder it, how hard it was for your parents, let alone you? I can't. Right? Uh, they're they're some of the strongest people I know to be able to persevere through through this, and that's that's where I get the most of my strength. You know, um, is is through through my family and, and looking at the obstacles that we've been through. And um, I was we we were just fortunate enough. You know, by by the grace of God, that a, a match was found, you know, within 24 hours. That's so, yeah. So I only I only literally waited on the transplant list for about 24 hours. So I was, you know, I always joke that I was, I was number one in the country. Right. Uh, probably the only time they'll ever be number one in the nation. Uh, really? But yeah, but yeah, I mean, my severity was so high. I was mm. so sick. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, I was number one. So they, they found the ideal individual and, um, a match was made. And, and it's interesting that we, we, uh, we sit here today in Tampa, Florida, right? Because, because my match, uh, my donor actually came from, um, from what I'm told, uh, came from the Tampa Bay area. Really? Yeah. So it's like this, like a homecoming for me. Home is where the heart is, right? Right, <laughs> exactly. Something like that. <laughs> I like that. I'll use that. Yeah. So your parents, they within twenty four hours, they were jumping for joy, so to speak, because they found a they found a a match for you, and uh, and then you underwent the operation, right? So how long did the operation take for you to get a new heart? I think it took about uh, eight to ten hours. Eight to ten hours. Yeah. yeah. And you know, once again, I, I can't imagine what my parents were going through and my siblings and. And, um, you know, I'd never want to be put in that, that type of place. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it took about eight, 10 hours and took the old out, put the new in and, uh, you know, I, I've been blessed. Yeah. I, I truly have. I heard when you get the new heart, you sort of develop some of the intuitions that, the previous owner of that organ had is that true? I mean, there's been studies and books about it, right? Well, it's a little hard because a uh, I, I don't know a lot about my donor, okay. Um, but um, b I was only 13 years old, and so yeah, so the habits, kind of yeah. Well, and the habits that I built, um, I attribute that those are actually, those are my habits, right? And the, the, this is the way I am, right? Um, you're too young to know, right? yeah, yeah, or even to have developed my own intuitions but um my donor was a female okay um so you know i i don't know whether it's just the circumstances i've been through the obstacles i've been through um or it's yeah you know people say females are more emotional i just yeah i i i find myself you know 
watching a, a sad TV program or yeah. like even like just thinking of something like like sad, I just get tearied. You like watching the Notebook? Oh, I can't! I can't watch that. I can't, I can't deal with the Notebook. It's, I mean, it's such a good show, but you know, uh, it, I know my my fiance probably. Um, laugh at me because mm. a talking about chick flicks but um no i mean i uh sometimes I'll, I'll watch you know uh a video on like youtube right i, I watched uh recently there was a video that espn put out about this this uh high school i think it was high school or middle school kid in iowa mm-hmm. uh with cerebral palsy and uh he was wrestling um, an opponent and you know he beat him it was okay. the first time that he ever won a match in his wrestling career and and not only am i proud that he's an iowan but mm-hmm. um yeah he just demonstrated a number of things about like his perseverance and his passion but also about the the sportsmanship and the the um the the wherewithal and maturity of the other wrestler to to allow him to experience that that joy in that moment, and 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 it just stuff like that that'll like tear me into like a tailspin to where I need a Kleenex. Really? So, um, but that's not a bad thing necessarily. No, it's it's not. And um, you know, we when we open this podcast, at least it's not it's not a bad side effect. No, <laughs> if that's the worst side effect of a new heart. Then. Exactly. You're doing pretty good. And, you know, when, when we opened up this conversation, you told me to kind of talk about my story. And, yeah. you know, the one of the things I mentioned was my appreciation for life. Mm-hmm. And when you go through that type of experience of having 24 hours to live, you you do look at life differently. And, you know, if a video makes me tear up, then so be it, right? I don't care, right? There's worse things in this world to worry about. And um, it gives you a different perspective on appreciation, on life itself, on the people in your life, and um, really what what you're concerned with mm-hmm. and maybe what you shouldn't be so concerned with. Mm-hmm. So it's... Uh, Definitely giving me a new, kind of a new, new perspective, new lease on life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So after you got the heart transplant, you, you obviously obviously took a while for that to heal up and for you to get back on your feet. Um, what happened after that? Yeah, I mean, uh, life just goes on, yeah. right? I mean, obviously, there's things that I have to to worry about: diet, health. Can't go play football, right? I mean, we've just broken open the the breastbone had a major surgery um but you know there's there's worse things uh there's more important things in my life at that point than worrying about playing football or contact sports or whether i can eat mm-hmm. pizza or salty foods right. um you know i'm just grateful to to wake up mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. um you know, I, I went through school and I had a great, amazing support group through school uh, and through my family and friends. And, um, you know, I just I just started living life as as a normal teenage kid doing the normal stupid stuff yeah. a teenage kid does. And, and, you know, having the sibling rivalries and trying to find your own individual path. Yep. Right. It was it was difficult being a twin. You know, as his mom kind of mold you, mom and dad kind of mold you together as, as one. It was always Chris and Mike, Chris and Mike, right? You want to be your own yeah, it's like, uh, you know, well, why does he always have to be first, right? Why, why can't it be Mike and Chris? Right. Um, so it's you know we did start to see kind of individual, uh, lives and paths start, um, and then something. It's kind of crazy happened when we were like uh, about 18, probably about 19 years old, our sophomore year. I had went to uh, a small uh, Catholic college in, in my hometown, 
uh, and worked uh, in the banking community growing up and, and stayed close to home. My brother went to Iowa City and he actually um, wanted to study to be a biochemical engineer really? at, at the University of Iowa. Yeah, because he, he wanted to um, go into medical science as a biochemical engineer and find cures and develop like different research around my heart ailment. Really? Yeah. So, so that was his career path. Um, I did not know that at first. Right. And then he, uh, it quickly changed. Uh, it quickly changed. Uh, he, he was a sophomore in, in college and, uh, was, uh, noticed by a, a modeling scout. Um, and, um, asked to, to be in a model talent show in Iowa. I mean, of all places, Iowa, Iowa right? Modeling show in Iowa. Yeah. Right? We've got, we have a lot of attractive people in Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, um, he actually kind of tussled with that kind of invite for a while. And long story short, he, he, he did the talent show. Mm-hmm actually won the talent show. Oh, yeah, he went on to be to go to New York uh to be in a larger modeling talent show. Mm-hmm. Uh ended up uh placing well in that talent show. And uh next thing I know my brother's on billboards uh, modeling underwear for Calvin Klein. Oh my god. Yeah. So um we were probably I think I'm still in college you know, trying to get my, my higher education, right? Uh, Looking at pictures of your brother wearing tidy whities on buildings. Yeah, right. Uh, but, you know, good for him. He was able to travel the world and, and uh, get into that. And you've been calling him Chris this whole time. Right? I have. Is that his real name? Well, yeah, it is. Um, and and uh, I guess here's where we, we divulge the secret, right? Maybe of, of who I'm speaking of. Um, my, my brother was born Christopher Ashton. Okay. So Ashton's his middle name, and uh, uh, how the the story goes is he was, um, from what I heard, how he changed the name, so to speak, was um, he was uh, in a, a model agency, and, and when the call came through to send Chris to the the mo- to the shoot, um, they really they had like three or four Chris's in the, in the age of three and you know, they didn't know who'd send. And, um, or at least that's the story I heard. Maybe it's mm-hmm. different, but, um, he, um, they, you know, decided to, the Ashton was a better, um, more unique, right? More model, I guess, better model name for it. <laughs> um, so he, uh, it'll rank quicker on Google. Yeah, I guess. Right. No one beats an A. Maybe that, um, maybe that was before Google. I don't know. I don't know either. But um, so that that took him to uh, to be known as as Ashton, okay. and uh, you know then he um, he always wanted to act. Right? Did he really? Yeah, he did. He did. He was always in plays and uh, uh, even before the modeling talent shows. Yeah, yeah. He was always uh, doing high school plays and musicals and. Um, and then he, you know, I'm really proud of him because, I mean, here's one guy, that, and he does it to this day. When he sees something, he just goes for it. Like, I don't care how big the dream is. He just he just takes it. Um, and and he achieves greatness through it. And there's, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot to be said in that. And I think that more people need to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who cares if your dream is, you know, uh, more than what you think is possible, right? If that's your dream, go for it. And he did. And he, um, you know, went to L.A. to to audition for uh, a few shows. And uh, long story short, ended up on on that '70s show. And yeah, you know, wow, kind of. And how old? I'm sure. You? I'm sure everyone knows the story after that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we were like 20, 21. 21 when he's on that 70 show. Yeah, around that time. Okay. So, um, 
and you know, I I really struggled with um, with that. I mean, it's it's yeah. I mean, here you are. I mean, you're you're going to college, right? You're still in Iowa, and your twin brother is basically a movie star now. Yeah, uh, it was, and it it, it really was kind of overnight type sensation, and you know, there was a lot of cool things that come with that, you know. Um, and different experiences that I'm grateful to be able to to experience through him. Mm-hmm. But as an individual, I really struggled with my own identity and trying because now I'm not just I'm not just Chris and Mike. Now I'm Ashton's brother. Right. And by the way, I have a name, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, literally people would introduce me sometimes as Ashton's brother. Right. And to me, that that was difficult to deal with. Was it? Yeah, I mean, it's, he's my brother, right? Right, right. Like, like, right, at least introduce me with my first name first, mm-hmm. right? And 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 kind of like, well, why does it matter who I'm related to? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I struggle with that, just finding my own identity, like who is Michael Kutcher, mm-hmm. and um. It was a difficult time for me, you know. I'm in my twenties, yeah. and um, uh, typically a difficult time for any twenty year old. It is, but you have a very unique set of circumstances. Yeah, yeah, and, and believe me, I mean, there's, there's, you know, like I said, there's some, some good that come with it. There's, you know, some perks, so to speak. Oh, for sure. Um, but um, you know, I just wanted to find my own person and right. i think that you know regardless of my brother i think that I'll, everyone struggles with that like what's what's my passion in life what's mm-hmm. my purpose what mm-hmm. what do i want to stand for you know and what do i want to do for a career and what do i want to do for a family and, and you're yeah. lost. you're on you're on this earth for a fucking reason you've already been through so much there's like it, you know if i'm you i'm like if I'm still here, there's got to be a really important reason I'm still well, here. Well, that's it. I mean, like here, here I am. Um, I, you know, I've, I've almost died at birth. Um, I almost died with a heart transplant. Uh, one thing we left out is during high school, I had two other heart, open heart surgeries. Oh, really? To remove blood clots. So this was after the heart transplant. Yeah. So here I am. I've, I've almost literally died about four times, but I, I'm still here. But like, to your point, like why? Why am I still here? Yeah. Like, what is my purpose? Yeah. I got to do something with this opportunity. Yeah. And now my brother is a major celebrity and I love my brother. Right. You, you love your siblings and family is family. And um, I'm, yeah, he's, he's one of my best friends. He's. A, a great inspiration to me, a role model to me. Um, and how do I utilize kind of the notoriety that I built kind of through that, mm-hmm. right? Because um, I never want to deny that he, you know, family is family. Yeah, um, but how do I utilize that for the greater good mm-hmm. and to be able to give back to people? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and those are some some great lessons that, that my brother taught me was, you know, the, the gift of generosity and the the gift of give, giving back to others, and and how much fulfillment you can actually receive through that. And um, then I, I I kind of fell into my purpose when I was about thirty years old. So, um, I was um, I received a phone call one day, and a woman asked me to speak at a, a gala um a cerebral palsy gala that she was starting a foundation for in iowa um and remember when i was speaking earlier where i said that um i kind of denied that i had a disability yeah. right i still had that okay. but now i've got my brother you know kind of talking about his family life and doing different media things mm. and you know it kind of creeped out so he was talking about you? Yeah. Okay. And, my, and our up, 
upbringing and and myself having this disability and um you know so so when this woman asked me to um to to speak at this gala uh about my struggles with cerebral palsy uh i was like you know what are you talking about you know i you know i don't need to publicize it any more than it's been publicized mm-hmm. um and then she she introduced um she introduced me to her daughter and we talked about different serv- uh, severities of mm-hmm. cp yeah exactly um and her daughter Bella, who is five years old, who's the same age as my my son at that time, um, you know, she, she had more uh, limitations than I I did. Okay. Right. Um, she she used a gait to walk. She um, had trouble communicating without the the use of a, a machine, um, wow. feeding tubes. At thirty years old, it. it uh, is something that kind of struck me, you know. Um, but here's a child that is, you know, has all these limitations. But she's amazing. I mean, her smile just lit up a room, and she, she was beautiful, and and she was so happy, mm-hmm. and so full of life, and. It really was a key moment of mine where I was like, you know, I, I got to stop. Like, guess what? Our disability is called the same thing. Right. Like, why, like, why am I in the closet, so to right. speak, when this girl is so happy with mm-hmm. her disability and she has bigger limitations than you do? So um, that's when I realized that that was kind of my voice. And that was my... Um, you felt like a responsibility, kind of. did, yeah. And I felt like I could make a difference. Mm. And, um, you know, so I, I spoke at that gala that was, you know, 12 years ago. Um, and that was the first time I ever spoke in public. Wow. Uh, about the cerebral palsy, about um, organ donation, uh, about obstacles. Um, and then I've, I've since over the years learned to, you know, build a, a network and build a, uh, you know, a foundation around that and build, build my story to inspire audiences. And, and now I, I find myself, um, you know, being an advocate, uh, for cerebral, for disabilities overall. Um, I sit on the board of, uh, as a as an advisor for uh, Cerebral Palsy Foundation, mm-hmm. um, I have went to Washington to to uh, advance budgets and speak about disability, cerebral palsy in, in specific. There's been some advancement over the years, um, and, and that's really due to you know the the people that I had kind of I won't say on my team that that I had the privilege of of joining them on their, their crusade. And that was, uh, I found out foundation I started with called reaching for the stars out of Georgia. Um, same foundation that I spoke for at, uh, at that gala. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, we, we went to Washington and we were kind of naive thinking that we would just point out the disparity in funding and that they were, just it would be like an aha moment like oh hey like yeah you're right let's give them five million dollars let's point it out to them uh but um little uh did we know that as we all know today washington's a little political a little bit um and and uh partisan and and um when you look at the natural institute of health uh, the NIH and the CDC and their their funding uh, for different disabilities within the budget. They actually line item every disability, and um, it was disturbing to me um, that you know th- there were there were great causes in there: spina bifida, autism, uh, Down syndrome, right? All all, all great causes, and and the needs there for those as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But there there wasn't even a mention or a line item of cerebral palsy. Really? Yeah, which um, infuriated me. Mm. Um, and it wasn't because of lack of trying. Um, so what what the group that I was with um, did was we raised, we raised awareness around it. And um, I'm not sure where the funding is to this date, um, but... Uh, you know, at, at least there's recognition. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they continue, the Cerebral Palsy Foundation continues to advocate. They continue to raise awareness mm-hmm. and, and and be a resource for families with cerebral palsy because uh, it, it affects so many people, mm-hmm. you know, worldwide, you know, across our nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's a large community there. Um but then, you know, I, I started to look at, you know, my work with cerebral palsy and, and how it, you know, I'm fighting for rights and advocacy and and to to change societal views that I dealt with growing up, right? That, that kind of put me in that closet, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I started to fight and work through those and talk through those, I realized like this, this, this isn't just cerebral palsy, you know, cerebral palsy is what I'm affected with. And, and it, it, you know, I support those initiatives, but we have to have a broader conversation around disabilities in general. You know, my, my uh, nephew was uh, born with autism. He's five years old can recite the periodic table of elements with the corresponding atomic numbers mm-hmm. at five years old. Wow. Some people would call that a genius. Yeah. Right? For sure. But why are we labeling, labeling people with, with different inabilities versus viewing their abilities? So let me ask you this. Can you do that? Hell no. Right. Why are we saying that he has the inability to be social and sit down with you at a table? Yeah. If we're going to do that and we're going to point him out for that, mm-hmm. why don't we point out your inability to recite the periodic table? Right. We don't. Mm-hmm. That's because we're not focused on people's abilities as a society. We focus more on the mainstream, quote unquote, norms they can't achieve. Right. You know, I go back to Bella and and the little girl that inspired me. Yeah. She may not have all the abilities that, that you and I have, mm-hmm. but she had the greatest ability of all, and that was to inspire me. Right. You know, same thing that my nephew does. So, so I've started to kind of build that conversation and. I continue to build that societal conversation around um, abilities, and and mm-hmm. you know I know I've mentioned the word disability here here quite a few times, but mm-hmm. I've actually coined the phrase, and I I, I prefer the word diffability, diffability, diffability with with Fs, right? Okay. Because because we're all different. Mm-hmm. Who I mean, who the hell wants to be the same? Right. I don't. Right. So I'm proud of my differences and you have to embrace your differences and the abilities that you do have. And yeah, also, I mean, think, think about the words that, that, that kind of how disability sounds. I mean, is it kind of the prefix dis kind of has a, is a negative connotation. Yeah. Right. I mean, the prefix alone means something negative. Mm -hmm. So, um, I just, I think that we all have differences. We all need to appreciate and celebrate our differences. Um, and I still think that society has a ways to go in that, in the, in the conversation, just as much as we have a ways to go in the gender equality in the race equality in the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like the disability community is kind of the, the one left out. There's so much stuff that we just we just like to we like to put them in little boxes so we can understand right. them. Right, you like to to point out kind of the bigger, bigger ones, right? The more noticeable mm-hmm. ones. 
Um, and I, I think that society and changing views, um, you know, look at look at that story of that YouTube of uh, that that young wrestler that I spoke about, right? The um, what was his name again? Uh, his name is Logan. Logan, okay. Um, and it's on my Twitter feed. I threw it up there if anyone yeah. wants to see it. Um, but you know, people are starting to kind of accept a little bit more. Um, and that's kind of Logan on the mat. Right. Let's accept Logan on the wrestling mat, much like me on the playground Mm -hmm. or me, me in the home. But once you get to the playground, Mm -hmm. things change. Um, I I just feel like there, there's always going to be more advancement that needs to, needs to occur, much like all the other communities out there, all the other, you know, how we put people in boxes with race and yeah. Although you and I use social media as a kind of a, a way to communicate with our audiences and, and we're appreciative for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, social media is kind of divide our, even though in some ways it's brought our country together and uh, communities together, it's, it's divided as well. Yeah. Uh, I remember the days where you know, my brother and I would go in the backyard in the dirt pile and we would play with matchbox cars <laughs> and we would build a road and and ramp matchbox cars off of a mound, you know, Dukes of Hazard, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, my kids don't do that these days. No. My kids um, are on social media. Snapchat, Snapchat Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and uh, YouTube. Uh, it consumes them, and um, that's why I think that you know, along with the appreciation of life and different things that we need to do in the appreciation of life, um, we also need to to look at the things that consume us and the things that uh, maybe distract us, like you know, TV and our phones and our computers and. And uh, we need to get back to the day where we we have the ability to shell that off and we can talk to people. Yeah, and, and that's why I think, I mean, podcasts are awesome. Yeah, I was Because right, we're, we're sitting here, we're, just, we're having a dialogue. I'm right. telling you about my life. You're right. learning about my life. And I hope, Danny, I'm, I, I hope that you're, you're gaining a greater appreciation for life and yeah. a greater understanding for your own family that you can go home and maybe, you know, Liam, right, is your son. Leo. Leo, sorry. Leo. Um, that maybe you, you, you'll hug him a little bit tighter tonight, right? Because you don't know when he might get the quote-unquote flu, right. right? God forbid. Right. You know, anyone goes through challenges, I, I have. But um, we got we to gotta get to the point where, uh, and, and it's really my purpose is to share my story help people get to the point, even if it's just for the hour that I speak to them, mm-hmm. that they think about this stuff right. and that they, they, they shut down the noise mm-hmm. and they, they really just are in the moment and think about life. No. Yeah. I think at least I hope the pendulum will swing heavily the other way eventually and hopefully soon because, you know, you think of, the short attention span of social media apps like Instagram and Twitter, just like the endless scrolling, bite-sized, ADD-type content. And podcasting is sort of the opposite of that, right? Yeah. And thank God, you know, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't have a social media outlet to, to distribute it, right? I wouldn't have this opportunity to sit here with you for an hour and just have a straight-up, one-on-one human connection with somebody. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's, there's a beauty around it. Right. And, and don't get me wrong, social media does provide some great things to us. And it's a great outlet for people to communicate with people. Um, but there are there are a lot of negative things associated with social media. And you say that you hope the pendulum's going to swing, but I'm afraid it probably won't. Yeah. I mean, it's going to get worse. Um, and, worse and you know, I'm raising kids that are consumed with it and you just as a parent 
uh, you're going to learn with with Leo as as he grows up is it's going to get worse. You know when when he's 15, 16, and uh, you're going to have different, hopefully not worse challenges that I deal with. You know with Snapchat and Instagram, um, but it, it really goes back to you know, you know we were talking about this earlier, like how you raise your kids. Mm-hmm. And you know the morals and the values that you instill in them at a young age, and you know I look at my family. I look at you know my brother that is is doing great things. Um, does he have kids? He does. Okay. Yeah. So he's he's a five year old and then a three year old. Um, you know I see him doing great things. Um, in the like the the human trafficking realm. Okay. You know, so he's he's heavily advocates for that and is he's you know, literally saving lives through his work with Thry, uh uh Thorn. Uh Thorn. Thorn is the name of his, his uh foundation. And um then yeah, I look at my sister who's heavily involved in the autism community and and when I go back to you know, I look at all three of us and you know, we're all giving back in some way or, or another and you guys are making a difference. We're trying, right? And and through through the the gift of giving to others, and our parents did something right, right? I don't know what, but um, it, I think it just goes back to the morals and the values that they raised us with, um, to where all three of us are are trying to make a difference and and doing doing great things. I think you guys are definitely moving the needle in the right direction with what you're doing. And uh, there was one story I heard um, I wanted to ask you about. The story you told about playing basketball with your brother. Yeah. And there was an instance where you guys were playing horse or something. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is early on. Um, we were probably around 10 years old. And um, we were, you know, just in the backyard in the in the driveway playing basketball and and um playing the game of a horse and I was losing and and um and you know my brother went to make a trick shot and he made the trick shot using his right uh using his right hand and I mean we're we 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 play a mean game of horse like yeah. a serious game of horse where like you're calling your shots you there's there's no like BS and anything. So, you know, he, he called a right handed shot and um due to, you know, my limitation with cerebral palsy, I, I, I couldn't make the shot. Uh and but I could make it with my left. So I made I made the shot with my left hand and he called me on it. Yeah. You know? And he said, No, he he didn't make the shot. Um supposed to do it with the right hand. Supposed to do it with the right hand. Um so I sulked, you know, I was 10 years old and I was, you know, I, I had a pity party for myself and, uh, I, you know, I, I remember telling him like, you know, he was cheating because he knew that it was difficult for me to shoot with my right hand and, um, you know, that I had every right to shoot with my left hand and I was using my disability as a crutch, mm. you know, and, um, <laughs> At, at ten years old, he, you know, he was more mature for his age, and um, he just looked at me and he's like, you know, what, what are you, what are you doing? Well, well you know, uh, I looked up at him, and yeah, you know, he, he told me he's like, listen, you gotta stop this. Like, I can't, I can't make this shot for you. Mom can't make this shot for you. You're the only one that can can do this, that can can make this shot and overcome this obstacle. And um, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, I got the message, and um, I lost that game. Uh, didn't win win a horse. In fact, he kind of kicked my ass at every sport. Um, but that says a lot too that he. He didn't. He never let you win. Oh yeah, he <laughs> he had no he had no reservation with uh, with let me win, and um, you know I, I lost that game, but I uh, I won that day. Um, 
I won the the greatest lesson I think I've I've ever learned in my life, and that was just that you know people can help you in moments. Uh, there's no there's no reason why people can't help you. I'm not saying that, um, but at the end of the day, when you've got a challenge or an obstacle or an opportunity, you're the only one that can can make that shot. You're the only one that can um, overcome what you need to overcome in that moment. And you know, you look at just even the little things in your life that you might think are challenges, or you know, uh, you know, all oh, the struggles, right? Like, I mean, Leo crying in the middle of the night, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, do you really gotta like? get brother i've been there right i mean do i really gotta get up with this kid at you know 3 a.m because i've only gotten two hours of sleep Mm -hmm. um but why is it a struggle why is it a challenge it's not a challenge it's your perception that it's a challenge that's actually an opportunity that's an opportunity for you to give back to your son that's an opportunity for you to hold your son a little bit closer and, and bond with your son. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not a weakness. That's not a, a challenge that you face. Right. And I think that that mindset is really just perception. Right. Um, and I point out to people when I speak to them that like everything that you go through day to day basis, everything you work through, they're not challenges. They're not. It's it's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity to either do better, be better, be a better individual, be a better human, um, or give back to other people, or learn something. Right? My dad always told me a, a, a valuable lesson. Um, he said, "You know, a, a mistake made once is a lesson. Right. Same mistake made twice." a lesson not learned hmm. yeah. so make mistakes learn from them take the opportunity to learn from them right. don't make twice right don't make them twice right. that was amazing well i think we're running out of time we gotta get you back soon dude thank you so much no i appreciate the opportunity your story is so inspiring and i'm sure a lot of people can gain a lot of valuable insight from from your story and what you have to tell your social media where can people find you online where can people find you on your website your twitter yeah, I mean, it's pretty, pretty simple. It's uh, michaelkutcher.com. Uh, that's Kutcher, right? Kutcher, uh, not Kutcher, Kutcher, like butcher. Uh, yeah, michaelkutcher.com. Um, uh, Twitter, at, actually, all of my social media is uh, at mkutch, so M-K-U-T-C-H. Okay. I appreciate you giving a little shout-out for that. And, um, you know, I... Uh, I hope that just inspire people through some of my posts and some of my, my conversations. And, um, you know, if, if you, you have the opportunity to, yeah, if I'm in your area speaking, uh, you know, I, I, I would love to, to share my, my message with your audience and, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I give podcasts like this. I tell my story like this because if it just touches one person, um, then I've done my job. That's beautiful. But there's, there's millions more to go. Hell yeah, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. 